Welcome to Trailblazing Techs, and today we have Officer Ari Ross, who is a police officer at Ohio State University Police Department. So welcome. Thank you. Perfect. So I wanted to give everyone an opportunity uh, to learn a little bit about yourself. So if you want to kind of just say who Ari is, I've known you for probably about a decade now, um, but yeah. I wanted you to have the opportunity to let everyone know who you are. Um, well, I'm Officer Ariel Michelle Ross. Uh, I go by Ari as my nickname. Um, I am a graduate of Marietta College. Um, that's usually like the first thing I tell people. I have no idea why. I just feel like it sounds good. Yeah. Um, I am uh, from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I graduated from Shaw High School. I also attended Cleveland Heights High School as well. So um, what else? Uh, I'll tell you like some fun things about me. I'm a twin. Uh, I have a twin brother. I also have a set of twin sisters um, who are a year and 11 months uh, older than uh, myself and my twin brother. Um, I love makeup. I don't have any on today, so excuse me. Um, I just got off work not long ago, but I um, enjoy reading. I love biking. I love uh, camping. Um, and nice. Yeah. I didn't know you had a twin brother. That's something I learned. For some reason, yeah, I don't know yeah. that. That's cool. We're 15, 15 minutes apart. Wow. So... All right. So I wanted to have you on the show, um, for many reasons. Um, you had been on my radar for a while and then quite a few people recently had really encouraged me to, to reach out to you. So, you know, everything kind of fell into place. And so, you know, since you are a police officer, we will dive into some of these hard conversations due to the recent death of George Floyd and some other, um, unnecessary deaths at the hands of, of law enforcement. But before we get to that, um, I, I want to talk about kind of your background as well, because part of this show is also people blazing their trails, the different paths that they take, why they, they did something. And so to kind of back it up a little bit, um, before becoming a police officer, um, you served in the military, correct? Yes. And wh what was it again? Was it Air Force? Yeah, the Air Force. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, you know, why did you decide to go into the Air Force after college and uh, how long did you serve? All right. So I have always known that I wanted to work for a federal agency. Like I've always just had this dream that I wanted to be, I don't know, like maybe something in communications, but for a federal agency. Mm -hmm. So I went to the Air Force because when I graduated, I wanted to apply to um, a couple different um, couple different agencies like Secret Service, FBI. Um, mm -hmm. And while speaking to people that worked for those agencies, they said, uh, you know, you, you, your resume looks great and um, you look really good on paper, but you have absolutely no experience in this field. Yeah. Um, and at the time I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like they're totally right. Like I look great on, on paper. I think I'm good at like marketing myself, but I literally have no experience in what I am you know, what I want to do. So someone has suggested to me um, going to the military, obtaining a uh, secret, uh, I'm sorry, a top secret level clearance, which is uh, the different, there are two, uh, there's a secret clearance and a top secret clearance um, for certain jobs in the military. So I, um, in I remember before going to the recruiter, I had a list of the AFSCs, which are basically like the jobs in the military. Mm -hmm. And um, intelligence was like my number one because I knew that I could definitely get a top secret clearance. Um, and then I think like my second one might've been like load master. And then my third mm -hmm. was some other one that allowed me to be able to get a top secret clearance. Yep. So um, I was in army ROTC when I was in high school for three years. Oh, nice. um, I had the opportunity actually to go straight to the army, um, getting out of school with the 
major signing bonus. But for some reason, I just didn't want to. I, I thought that college at the moment was the was the right choice for me and the only mm-hmm. choice. So I chose to go to school and then um, enlist in the military. Um, a lot of people always ask me, why didn't I go in as an officer instead of going in as enlisted? Yeah. And um, I have uh, my dad was Marine. My, my One of my twin sisters is um, in the Air Force as well. And I always like had this concept that the best officers were always enlisted first. Like you start from the bottom and you kind of work your way up, you know? Mm -hmm. And I felt kind of like I would have been cheating, you know, seeing as though I had a degree. And that's kind of funny because after being in the Air Force and meeting people who are officers, I was like, I see exactly what people mean now when they say that. So long story short, I say that to say um, I went to the military. I mean, I went to the Air Force in I believe. Yeah. The end of 13. I want to say I went in May. Um, I only stayed for a couple of months actually, because I ended up getting sick in training. Um, no one knew what was wrong with me. I didn't even know what was wrong with me. And after like a host of going to like, uh, I w- they sent me to Fort Sam. They sent me to like different bases to like, you know, see these different doctors. I end up, they end up sending me back to Cleveland to go to a specialist at Cleveland mm-hmm. clinic. And I actually ended up finding out that I had cancer. So that oh, was wow. like a crazy, yeah, it was a crazy, uh, crazy road, but everything I learned in basic, everything I learned after, you know, like in that weird transition period, um, definitely I would say helped me to even become a police officer, you know what I mean? Every, all the discipline that I learned in the, in the military definitely set me up for success. So I'm, I'm still grateful for having even that short opportunity. Yeah. And I did not know about the cancer diagnosis. Oh, are you still there? Ari? Oh, there you go. Yeah, I am. Sorry. I think my, my, I probably should charge my phone. My bad. (laughs) No, you're good. Go ahead. Um, I did not know about the cancer diagnosis. Are you cancer free? Where, where are you in that journey? Yeah. So I actually, I am in remission now. Um, I, I, it's so funny because the years all run together. I think Mm -hmm. I get diagnosed. It would have been Christmas Eve of 20, 2013, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Um, So shortly after. Yeah. Shortly after. Yeah. after, yeah, Cause I, I remember having surgery the end of that year. Um, so yeah, I've actually just hit my five year mark just this past December. And I only know that because my remission date is actually my birthday. So oh, congrats. Uh, I'm yes. happy to hear that. Mm-hmm. Happy thank to you, hear thank that. You. All right. So, so obviously the military, your diagnosis kind of diverted the original plan. Yes. And, um, so after kind of going through basic and, and, you know, dealing with your, your health issues, um, you found yourself becoming a police officer, correct? Yes. All right. So, so talk about kind of that. I I think sometimes they they do go hand in hand, like going from the military into becoming a police officer. I think that's fairly common, but why did you, why did Ari decide to, to make that leap? Really kind of, I almost felt as though it were forced. I, I always thought about when I was little being an officer of some sort, but maybe like an agent like kind yeah. of sense, you know, so maybe still being a police officer, but in plain clothes instead of like an actual uniform. Yep. Um, so one, when I, um, after I had received treatment, I went through radiation. Um, I was told by uh, my recruiter that I could not go back to the air force, um, to complete, you know, my training until I had been in uh, remission for three years. Oh, um, wow. the air force, yeah, the military has a certain number of years for each type of cancer. And so I had thyroid cancer. So thyroid cancer, you have to be free of cancer for three years. Um, so when I got discharged, um, 
they gave me basically an uncharacterized discharge. So it wasn't mm-hmm. medical because if it was medical, I wouldn't be able to go back. But um, it's basically saying that um, it was erroneous enlistment, meaning that when I went through the screening, the health screening process, um, they just missed it. Like it wasn't anyone's fault. I wasn't deceptive or anything like that. Yeah. It just, yeah, just got Didn't by. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So um, I told myself that I wasn't going to sit around and wait three years just to go yeah. back to the military. Like I needed, I needed to find something to do. So I have a friend who works for the state and one day she just messaged me and she's like, Hey, like the state troopers are hiring. And I'm yeah. like, the state troopers, like what the heck are state troopers? Like, you know, like, are they the ones that wear the big hats? Or state troopers, yes, the ones that the yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember getting a ticket by a state trooper in college, actually. <laughs> um, I was leaving Cleveland to come to work in Marietta. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to work for those guys. Like, you know, so she's like, no, no, I'm telling you, just apply. Like, you'll love it, whatever. So I actually, I applied, I think March 9th, I believe. And um, yeah, they messaged me back so quickly. I don't know that I've ever had a job message me back. Um, and they said, hey. We want you to come take your written test and your um, physical test in the same day, which is like kind of unheard of. Like you don't do that. You usually take them separately. Got and it. I was like, oh, shoot. Like, wow. Like this is, you know, the ball's moving pretty fast. So um, I, you know, one thing led to another. And then um, I ended up starting the um, Trooper Academy in April um, of that year. So oh, April of the next year, I'm sorry. So, um, yeah, it was almost a year's process, um, wow. but it, it definitely was worth it. I can't say that I enjoyed the academy because um, it was basically like going to basic all over again. Yeah, that's right here. With boys. Yeah, it was just, it was crazy. <laughs> My class, um, I'm from the, um, uh, I think, what am I, what class am I? 162? Yeah, 162. And we actually were the biggest, we're the biggest patrol class in history. And then we also are the only class to ever graduate three African-American women um, wow. from, from class. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy actually to think about. Um, yeah. yeah, that's one thing I was talking to an, another officer from Houston and he was saying, cause he, he had a career in marketing first and then he decided to okay. become a cop and he said mm-hmm. how it amazed him how fast it was. And, um, he was just saying that he kind of applied just to kind of see, and then all of a sudden it was like, we want you to come in. We want you to do this. Yeah. All right. And then he was like, <laughs> the next thing I knew I was in the Academy. Um, and yes. he kind of says the same thing. He was like, he was like the Academy forced him to like really evaluate is this what he wanted to do um right so I I feel that many feel that sentiment but you know I think that's something that you should be proud of and you overcame you know a health issue and then you you kind of got diverted from your original air force plan um and then also being part of even though it was a small group you know a group of african-american women that have gone through the academy um that are you know honoring the badge policing their communities I think, I think those are steps to progress and we have a long way to go, but nonetheless, I think, I think that's, you know, something you should be proud of. So, you know, one more thing I think I should add to that, that the Trooper Academy is a paramilitary academy. Um, It's not like your normal, um, you know, morning to afternoon academy where you get to go home and you, uh, you know, just go in the next day. It's like, legit being in the military all over again. Like you wake up doing PT, you wake, you go to bed, probably doing PT. Um, you have, <laughs> you know, 
punishments if you do something wrong or, you know, like um, stuff like that. So it's definitely very different from your normal, typical police academy. So interesting. I felt the need to that. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I'm glad you I'm glad you chimed in there. Um, all right. So the last week to week and a half has been as a police officer or just the general person in the public. It's been crazy. Um, yeah, people yeah. are upset. People are mad. Rightfully so. Right. We, we saw that George Floyd was killed at the hands of law enforcement. You know, no reason for anyone to sit on anyone's neck for almost nine minutes. And so yeah. the, the public is speaking. Right. And I'm all for it. I, I, I love protesting. I love people using their voice. Um, but we have seen some places get a little out of control. But what has been your personal experience with these protests over the last week to 10 days? Um, well, I'll definitely say this. Um, I, I haven't been able to participate in any protests like myself because mm-hmm. I am always working. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I definitely haven't got to do that. But I do have like a lot of family members who have attended these protests, um, not only just in Columbus, but in Cleveland and all over, you know, the United States and friends that, you know, tell me about their experiences. And for the most part, um, I haven't really heard any like you know, super outrageous stories. Um, mm-hmm. I know that there are, you know, uh, cities where there has been like, you know, rioting and looting and stuff like that. And honestly, I don't really have a, I don't really have like a specific remark to make about that. I just will say that people are angry, you know, yeah. people are fed up, people are tired. Um, black people, African-American people in particular, um, as a, you know, African-American person myself, I definitely, I get it. You know, I understand. I, I do, I do feel bad for business owners. Um, you know, they worked hard to establish these businesses and some people, you know, they're, they're losing like their life savings, you know? So I definitely, I definitely, um, don't agree with that part. Uh, but I, I understand why people are doing it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm with you too. Like you, 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 you understand both sides. Um, me personally, like when, you know, I believe it's MLK who said it, it was, you know, rioting is the voice of the unheard or something along mm-hmm. those lines. And that really yeah. struck me because I was like, it's true though. We can disagree yeah. with burning down businesses and looting, but you can also take a step back and be like, I completely understand why people are this pissed. Like, yeah. I get it. Um, Someone compared it to the Boston Tea Party, you know, like they you know, we're asking England, like, please let off these taxes, please do this, please do that, grant these wishes for us. And, you know, they had to like, basically burn it to the ground, you know what I mean, in order to get to, in order to be heard. So I think that's kind of how the, you know, the the Black Americans in the public feel now. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, like, I I get it. Me personally, I don't know if I would ruin a business, but at the same time, I can take a step back and be like, I completely understand why people are this pissed. Um, and so with that though, I know you've been working, so you're kind of on the other side of the protests, but overall I feel like Columbus has been pretty peaceful. Like, I don't feel like they're in the headlines for anything outrageous. I think, I think that there have definitely been some moments that were a little bit questionable. Um, I can't, I don't, I don't speak on behalf of my agency. Like I work for Ohio State University Police. So nothing that I'm saying is a representation of what my agency feels. This is just me personally and what my experience has been. Um, 
but yeah, I know that Columbus police, uh, I have friends in, you know, all over the city and they've definitely experienced, you know, um, people breaking into businesses and, you know, dealing with those types of things. Um, and then, um, I know that Columbus was, um, recently in the news, uh, for using tear gas on people. And, um, there was an incident with, uh, the Lantern, which is the, uh, news publication for, um, OSU. And, um, they were upset that, um, you know, there was a curfew issued for the city and, uh, the people from the lender basically said, Hey, I, you know, I have the right to be out here because I'm the media and the police officer pretty much said, no, you know, no, (laughs) like you gotta go. Well, there's been situations where even more drastic than that, where like reporters on camera are being arrested. And then, yeah, Um, I saw which yeah. is serious, right? Like that mm-hmm. is the public, if you're not out protesting, right? That is the public's avenue to knowing what is going on. Um, right. and so kind of silencing the media is a little scary at times because right. why, why are you doing that kind of thing? Um, yeah. So, so that's, yeah, to me, like unacceptable. If reporters and media want to be out there, like they need to be out there. They're out there at their own discretion as well. Um, we see, media members also getting really hurt um, and stuff like that as well. So, you know, if they're going to be out there putting their self at risk so I can stay informed, you know, let, let them be out there. And, and, and the curfews have been interesting because I think they've, they've been like varying state to state and city to city. So like in Denver, Mm -hmm. we had a strict curfew, like the first two days and then things got more peaceful. And then, police officers allowed people to continue to protest as long as there was no violence. And once there was violence, they were going to shut it down. They were going to arrest people for being out past curfew. But I felt like that kind of, I don't even know the right word, maybe resolution where it was like, if you, if it stays peaceful, we will let you guys stay out here for as long as you want and or need. And I felt like that was a huge turning point in Denver because in Denver it was getting pretty violent. And I think that was Mm -hmm. a turning point, um, as well. And so I, as someone who lives in Denver, I was happy to see that there was at least some sort of agreement or I don't know the right word, but a sense Um, of peaceful protest at least. Yeah. They kind of came to a, um, I I feel like, yeah, there's a, yeah. Compromise. There There we go. Yeah. A compromise. Yeah. In in Columbus, it was, it was different. Um, we we I remember the first time I got one of those alerts on my phone. It scared the living like crap out of me. And um, we had a strict curfew for like days. And then um, I don't know how true this is or not, but I heard that someone actually sued the city uh, because of this curfew because there were there were a couple like exemptions like uh, people who were going back and forth to work, uh, yeah. homeless people, um, you know. And so it was really hard to to for officers to be able to distinguish where Who's people who? fail. Yeah. Into those categories. So they kind of just like lifted at it. Um, we haven't had a curfew um, this week actually that I can think of. I think it ended, ended last week. Same but, with, um, same I, with Denver. It ended on yeah. Friday mm-hmm. and still protests are going on, but they're, they're not nearly as a, a violent yes. as they were. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm all for it. Go out there, yeah. protest, speak your mind. I think it's one of the greatest freedoms that we have as Americans. Um, and so, so let's talk about why people are protesting. Um, we obviously know George Floyd killed at the hands of law enforcement, but why do you think George Floyd's death 
is like the the straw that broke the camel's back in so many words? Um, in my personal opinion, I think I think it's the like I said, people are fed up, but I think it's because I've never seen a more blatant, clear cut, unjustifiable killing of a black male in my entire life. Like, you know, there, I, as a, as a police officer, I'll say that I do not like to, we call it Monday morning quarterbacking. Um, Yeah. Yeah. My my fellow uh, brothers and sisters in blue. I don't like to do that because um, I know as a police officer, there's always going to be more to the story. And I know that um, sometimes like perception isn't always reality in those situations because I've seen it firsthand myself, you know? Um, But I think this, this incident um, because it was one, like you said, nine minutes, these people that were filming and, you know, around, they didn't let off. And another thing too, I think it's because, um, Derek Chauvin, the officer that had his knee on, on, um, Mr. Floyd's neck, his demeanor was just so he was smug. He was smug. Yeah. His, yeah, his, I don't like to, like I said, I don't like to critique other officers or anything, but just knowing from my training and how I was trained and things that I would do and things that I would not do, um, just as mannerisms, like having your hands in your pocket is a, it's kind it kind of shows that you're comfortable. It shows complacency. It shows that you don't really have a fear of anything. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and I, and I know that, uh, I believe it was one or two of those other officers in that situation. They were new, you know, like they had, only had like one. They, yeah, two of them, only a couple of days on the job. I remember what it was like to be an FTO. FTO is field training. Um, I, rem- I remember what it was like, you know what I mean? And you want to impress your coach. You want to, you know, not mess anything up because they're going to like try to send you back to the academy or yeah. kick you off or, you know. So I get it 100%. But I think there were there were very key points in that, you know, in those nine minutes where th- things could have went differently um, when they 100%. said, hey. He doesn't have a pulse. They could have, you know, they, I, I think someone did check and they still kept, he still kept this knee on his neck, you know, when he said, I can't breathe. Um, and then the other thing was he was handcuffed. Um, I personally have always been taught in, in every agency that I've worked for that once the threat is subdued, um, you, you let off of them, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I, I, I haven't watched the whole video only because like, I can't watch someone die. Um, but the officer's demeanor to me like really shook me to my core where you're like, what are you like, like again, nine minutes again, I'm not a police officer, so I've never been trained, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that no one says sit on someone's neck for nine minutes. And so I, I've never been trained to do that. (laughs) And, and, you know, and like you said, he was subdued and, and, you know, I don't know about you, but have you ever tried to do anything without your arms? You know what I mean? Like when you're laying on your be- your stomach and you don't have your arms, like you're not really a threat, right? And so right. wh- why are you still sitting on him? And so, yeah. So yeah, so that was that was something that really kind of upset me was, was that. And, you know, I think this is the first time as well that we're seeing because we've had these controversies over the last roughly seven it's been going on for a long time but as publicly as it's been going on last what right. seven to ten years I feel like we were in college when Trayvon Martin happened and that was like yeah the first a, Ferguson probably like someone mentioned that the other day and I was like where was I during Ferguson like I can't even remember I, yeah I so was. that was post 
college for us because I remember okay. I was working for I want to say for, I was 14 we grad I graduated 13 I was technically class of 12 but I left 13 yeah I graduated 13 as well so I okay, it might yeah, have been yeah, a yeah. couple years after because I remember working for Oracle I was working with a customer in St. Louis probably a week after the the protests in the, in the riots and I remember mm-hmm. driving and I could still smell this, like the, mm-hmm. the singe the from smell. the, the yeah. fires. Um, right. But yeah, there's been a lot of very public incidences, but this seems to be the first one that I have yet to find a person to be like, well, you know, like everyone's like, it's bad. It was murder. And I think yeah. that has really just sparked everyone because for the first time, most people are agreeing yeah right yeah and and I I don't know how you defend it I have yet to find a police officer also who was like well you know like all of them are like yeah no unacceptable like he should be in prison and that yeah I've heard a couple people who are on the other side and I really I I, yeah I chose not to engage in conversation with them just because I want to make sure that when I speak I speak from a professional law enforcement standpoint and yeah. not as, um, I hate to say this, but as an angry black woman. So I, it's like, I've talked about this a lot. Like, you know, when I put this uniform on, I have to turn, I, I have to turn my own bias off. I have to turn my yeah. own personal feelings off. And that's really hard. It's extremely hard to do, but, um, you know, in order to maintain the integrity of the uniform, it's something that, you know, I have, I have to do. And I respect that because, being in a position of power or influence, right, takes great responsibility. And a lot of times you have to put your personal biases, personal feelings aside and do your job. But that doesn't mean that you don't have these feelings. Like you are still Ari and you are still a black woman and you're pissed. But at the when you put on your uniform, you know, you're Ari the officer. And I think that's a very powerful statement because if you look at the world we're in it's really hard for people just to put any of their personal feelings or biases aside period and you're going you're you have to you're going out there and you're working these protests you you have to arrest people you have to honor your badge and I and I think I think it's something that everyone can learn whether they're an officer or not like sometimes we do have to put our personal biases aside and personal opinions and feelings and do our job or, or whatever it is. <clears throat> and so, you know, I really respect that comment out of you because I think that makes you a great, a great officer. But let's switch topics a little bit, kind of moving away from the protests. Um, one thing that we're hearing now coming from the protest is verbiage around defunding or abolishing the police. So mm-hmm. I know for the most part, when people are saying defund the police, they don't actually mean strip uh, funding and dismantle um, police officers, but pe- some people are saying that. But as a whole, that's not what the movement is is asking for. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on this in general? I actually, you know, it's funny that you asked that because I just yesterday had to go educate myself on that. And actually, this morning when I woke up, the first message that I read was someone educating me on this um, because I think I kind of jumped the gun. Uh, I posted something on social media. It was like kind of like making fun of people saying defund the police. And I had to take a step back and think like, okay. Um, so I thought that people were talking about completely dismantling um, 
all agencies. Um, yeah. I know that minister is, is going through something right now where they're, they're talking about that. Um, but the person who corrected me said that, um, no, we're not talking about getting rid of agencies entirely. We're talking about not having police officers respond to mental health calls, not have them respond to, uh, you know, an animal running in the street or things that are not criminal matters. And honestly, I've thought about this um, for a while now because switching from being um, a state trooper to working at um, OSU, being on uh, predominantly like a college campus in the, the greater college area, um, things that I dealt with as a trooper, I, I don't really deal with at OSU. And, you know, same at OSU, I didn't I didn't do that as a trooper, like uh, mental health calls and um, CIT um, stuff like that. I, I didn't uh, pink. I, they're kind of known as pink slips, like where uh, if someone is in a, in a uh, mental health crisis, I would take them to the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. I, I never did that as a trooper because I never had to, you know right. what I mean? So I definitely think that, um, I definitely think that I totally just lost my train of thought. Give, give me the question again. I'm sorry. Um, what are your thoughts on defunding and, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I do. I do agree to an extent that some of those calls are not criminal matters, um, but that's kind of become the culture of policing that when people don't know what to do, even if it's, you. you know, Miss Lucy's cat just got stuck in a tree. Oh, I'm going to call the police because I'm not really sure who else to call. That's yeah. become the culture. You know, we're we're we are trained to serve and protect. And, and I think serving stretches over a large, a large uh it's a large area, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I think also to those particular things, um, a lot of officers are not trained on or they're not trained efficiently to be able mm-hmm. to do all of those types of things. Um, we're trained heavily on, you know, ORCs, which is basically the Ohio Ohio Revised Code laws, um, you know, case law and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I'm not trained to go get a cat out of a tree. I'm sure that, you know, my logically I could figure out how to get it, but yeah, that's, yeah. Not, that's not what I'm trained for. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and me personally, um, I think using the word defunding and abolishing are very interesting words yeah. that don't necessarily mean what the m- movement is, is trying to do. But I think they did that a little bit on purpose to catch people's attention. Um, but at the same time, even though for the most part, it seems like most people are just calling for kind of uh, allocating dollars differently and, and asking yeah. cops to do more, I guess, like criminal related work, not be mm-hmm. necessarily a social worker or get the cat out of the tree kind of stuff. But there are people that are saying, let's completely dismantle the police. Mm-hmm. And for me, this is my opinion. I think that's a very slippery slope. And I think you'll see a massive rise in vigilantes and we've yeah. seen in recent with like Ahmad Arbery, what Aubrey, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I find that very terrifying. Um, personally, yeah. when you have people that are not trained and then people that take, there's a reason that we don't take the law into our own hands because going back to emotions and personal bias, we all have mm-hmm. them. We're human beings. And you know, if, if, if all of a sudden I think someone's doing something wrong and I'm going to go play police officer, me personally, as a, as a, as a citizen of this country, I I don't like that idea. I find that terrifying. And so as a fellow police officer, you know, when you hear someone say, let's dismantle cops be no more, what what are your thoughts 
on that? Or what do you immediately want to say to people? I immediately think that that's not safe. You know, um, I, I know and I understand that there are, you know, bad cops out there. Just like I think that there are bad people in every profession. There are bad people in every race. Um, but to say that you want to eliminate a group of people who I think a lot of times do more good than bad. It's just that the media only showcases the bad. You know, the bad is what's it's, it. It overshadows the good pretty much. Yeah. Um, I definitely think it's unsafe. I can't I can't even imagine like. Some of the calls that I that I've gotten at work, what if the person on the you know on the other end that's calling for help? What if they got you know the neighborhood watch guy from down the street? What if they got you know Miss Lucy that's always sitting in her window you know watching watching the block or something? You know what yeah. I mean? Like they they are not equipped to handle these like life threatening, real, quickly changing moments or events you know what I mean and and I think that more people actually would get hurt and I know that there are studies that say that crime actually decreases when you have um uh less police um not what's the word presence I guess lesser police officer presence um Mm -hmm. or when you have officers in a community where the officers look like the people that they're policing I do agree with that I think that maybe we should think about how we are you know how we are policing in these, you know, in different communities where crime is, is higher. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think if you dismantle police or law enforcement completely, you leave the most vulnerable people even more vulnerable, which is what we're trying to completely eliminate. And so I think I'm all for reform. Like obviously something needs to change, but I don't think dismantling, the police is, is going to solve anything. I personally, and, and I could be wrong, but I personally believe it would be a disaster. I think it would actually lead to a lot more violence, wrongful deaths. And then, and then it just kind of spirals, which to me is, is, is scary. And already we're at a time where people are scared. People are desperate for multiple reasons as a response to George Floyd, but also we've been in our houses for three months. We've been cooped up. Um, people, over 30 million people have lost their jobs. Um, businesses have been destroyed. Like it's, it's not a good time to let people take the law into their own hands. And so I'll be really interested to see what comes of this movement, what resolutions we come to, what do we decide, where do we draw the line of this is what a police officer should do. This is what, let's say, I don't know, a caseworker should do or go get the cat out of the tree. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, so that was really interesting. I, I find the words interesting in, in the movement, um, a little contradictory, but I think they did it to get attention uh, and, and they have people's attention now. So, you know, that's, you know, how change happens. So as things change, hopefully, and, and reform comes, what do you think kind of the long-term and short-term effects are of everything going on? Do you see us moving in the right direction and making the right changes? Or do you see this becoming kind of another cycle where we talk about it to death and then we revisit it in five years? Um, I hope and pray that that's not the case. Um, I think that right now that there, I think of it kind of as a fire, you know, like there's a fire sweeping our nation, you know, and, um, 
we all know that a fire doesn't have to be super large in order to still burn things, you know, yeah. like it, it, and just the smallest ember that's still lit. So hopefully that people keep this passion, they keep this, you know, this, this like burning desire to see this change um, come to pass. And I tell people all the time, um, especially like, you know, white allies and my Caucasian friends, like this isn't going to happen overnight. You're not going to fix this overnight. Like I'm not even going to fix it overnight. I think that everyone is going to do their part and little by little, you know, we will affect change. Um, so I, I would think it may be like in the, the short term um, perspective that people are going to keep protesting. They're going to keep signing petitions. They're going to keep, you know, doing all these things because honestly, I've seen, I, I've heard a lot of people say, well, these protests, they're not, they're not doing anything. They're not changing anything. They are. They are. Yeah, they are. There are cases getting reopened. There are, you know, people who are bringing valuable materials to the table. You know, they're, they're bringing valuable resources for people to be able to get the help that they need to get out of this vicious cycle. And I think long-term, those little things um, are going to set, uh, set us up for success. Yeah. And, and I'm with you. Like, I, I think it's easy when you, when you look at protests from like the outside, you're like, what is this really doing? Yeah. You yourself as a protester are not like signing the bill to make the change, but you're sparking that fire. You, you are bringing, when you bring public attention to things that puts pressure on our local leaders and stuff like that yeah. to make the change. That is why we have done this for multiple generations, right? Mm -hmm. we, we've seen that protests are the spark and then it leads to change. Now, we're not perfect. And so there's still a long way for us to go, but this that's the spark we need. And I think, right. I think one thing, I was talking again to another officer and he made a great point. He was like, as people like, he's younger. So he's like, as people like me and people like you and in yourself, climb the ranks of whatever, whatever we're doing, whether it's like within the police department or if it's in, you know, local government, you know, we're getting older, right? We've, we've lived through a lot of these things. We're going to be the ones that are really going to make the change happen. And it's going to take time and mm -hmm. it's not going to happen this year. It's just going to take time, but it, everyone has to kind of keep their foot on the gas and make yes. sure that this doesn't fizzle out and also hold everyone accountable, whatever that may be as police officers, hold your fellow officers accountable. Me, my friends, you know, if someone says something that is incredibly inappropriate and out of line, you know, it's up to me to speak up and say something. And it's up to me to also be open to have conversations with people that maybe don't see it the same way I do. Now, yeah. racism is wrong, right? You're not going to, like, I don't think you'll necessarily, like, be able to have a great conversation with someone who is just, like, cold-blooded racist. But yeah. a lot of people have different thoughts and opinions on what is going on. And so I think people, rather than just being like, no, I don't like what they're saying, I'm going to cut them off, I think having these conversations, and you might realize very quickly that conversation is going nowhere and you're just like, okay, agree to gr disagree. I'm going to move on. I'm going to disengage. But I think yes. this whole thing of like, I'm not like, without even trying to have the conversation, right? Like, I'm not going to talk to them. And I think we need to actually talk to each other, talk to each other, right? Not yeah. what, not tight, because again, that can be misconstrued. You might take the tone wrong whatever yes. it may be. And so I think we need to continue to talk in amongst our own communities, across communities, officers and the public, like that's how 
we, that's how I believe we move the needle is if we do it together. If we do, if it's going to be divided, it's going to be us versus them always. Right. And you can't get anything done that way. We, we're, we're watching it kind of over the last four years, especially with politics, it's been us versus them, or you were this side or you were that side. And we hasn't got us anywhere in my opinion. And so that's my little rant for the day that, you know, we have to, we have to find a way to come together and there's going to be those people that don't want to help you. That's fine. I'm going to go find someone else. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, so having, having those conversations. So you know, with that, what is kind of your call to action or, you know, your words of wisdom to your fellow officers to, to honor the badge and continue to honor the badge and serve and protect like you guys, you know, have vowed to do? Um, you saying that reminds me, and I've, I've been actually thinking about this for the past two weeks. Um, when I was in the academy, there was the saying uh, in the patrol, act right, be right, do right, you know, um, and it kind of it kind of is a constant reminder of, you know, we're, we're policing the public, but we also have to police ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of times there's this common misconception in law enforcement that we have to be strong all the time, that we don't that we're not human, um, that we don't feel normal feelings that civilians feel and that we are just you know, these macho, egotistical people all the time. And I think that um, as an officer for myself, it's important for me to, you know, check on my coworkers, check on my, these people that I consider to be my family, you know, that I consider to be my brother and sisters. And if I see them, you know, struggling with something, if they're not having a good day, um, you know, I think about that. I wonder what Derek Chauvin's day was like before he went to that call. What happened to him? that day or even or even days before even that month like what was he going through what was he experiencing you know and I think that's just me seeing him as a human being um and I know it's hard to see people that way after they've done something wrong after they've done something bad you know yep so I'm always I'm always thinking about that and I and I know that um I'm not gonna I'm not going to be able to talk to every officer that I encounter. But if I see something, I mean, I'm, I'm trained to know the warning signs of people in distress or in a crisis. Um, and I think that when you catch those things early, um, you can stop situations like, yeah. you know, what happened with George Floyd. Yep. Yeah. In general. And, and I think that's actually a, a strong message in general, check up on people. Um, yeah. People snap. And, um, again, I have no idea what his day was like or what he was thinking at that moment, but you have a good point. What, what was his day like? What, what, what led him to that kind of thing? Um, and yeah, check up on people and, and you, if you know those people pretty well, like you will see signs of something's going on, something's not right. And so I think it's important in your line of work, especially, um, because things are pretty, um, I don't know, the consequences can be steep for a misstep um, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So I think that's great. And so, you know, as we try and build this bridge between police officers and the public, you know, how do you think everyone can help their communities in general, whether you're a police officer, whether you're someone like me, you know, what can we do to build communities, also help race relationships as well, right? So it's not black and white, right? It's us together um, and really create change in, in positive environments. Um, 
that actually makes me think of uh, something that President Rude of Merida College says. Um, he always says, time, talent, treasure. Um, you know, there are people who can donate their time, um, yeah. whether that's uh, volunteering, whether that's, you know, going into places that you normally wouldn't to. So like community centers, schools, um, after, uh, after school, before school programs. And, you know, talking to our children and talking to um, maybe like different different um work work environments you know people there are a lot of people who have questions about this stuff but they have nowhere to get answers you know like in google google isn't really helping right now because everybody has a bias everyone is on one side or the other you know Mm -hmm. um so that would be time uh talent uh if you're good at something you know like maybe helping people making cookies like even like these little gestures you know what i mean um like you said, we aren't going to solve racism in one day, but these little tiny baby steps are what's going to basically mend everything um, yeah. eventually. And then with that time, talent, and then treasure, um, money, you know, a, the money makes the world go round. Um, maybe donating to, um, I don't know, like maybe like local community programs. Um, I know that a lot of like inner city, um, inner city communities are struggling with like funding and stuff like that you know I just recently read an article about education and how um uh kids in like inner city Columbus are not getting the same education I live in Hilliard um are not getting the same education as people in Hilliard or people in Dublin or Dublin Kaufman and I I thought to myself like wow like this is like this is crazy like I live in Columbus but there are multiple groups or classes of people within the city, you know, mm-hmm. and I see that even um, OSU has multiple campus and we have uh, campuses and we have buildings all around Columbus, not just near high street. That's where everyone thinks that OSU is, but we have buildings all over. And um, there's actually an African-American community center um, and it's located kind of in the hood, you know, it's, um, it's near our uh, East Wexner uh, medical center. And I, all, every time I, go to that area um when I'm assigned there I always try to have interaction with someone you know because I don't know maybe maybe all of their interactions with law enforcement has been bad you know Um, there's a large homeless population in Columbus as well a large thing when it comes to treasure like I've met a lot of homeless people who have very good insight and very good um you know ideas about like what's going on in the world and just talking to some of them, I, I think that they're often forgotten. Um, I think that um, aside from like, you know, mental health issues and uh, veterans who come home and don't have anywhere to go and all that, I think that that's a, that's a, that's a major issue that we need to be trying to, you know, fix within our communities before we even get to racism. You know what I mean? I think, I think not before we get to it, but I think we can do it in conjunction with because I think that these people, they have a lot, they have a lot to offer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They have, they have, the, they have skills, they have um, the mental stability, um, the, or the mental strength to, to do, to do what we, what we need people to do. But it's really hard to function in society and be a functioning member when your basic needs aren't even being met. Yeah. You know? Yeah, in Denver, we have a, a very large uh, homeless population as well. And, you know, I don't have a solution for it. I, I don't know what to do um, necessarily about it. Denver does p- 
provide, I think more than a lot of other cities, um, more resources to homeless Mm -hmm. people than others. But, you know, it got me thinking during quarantine, you know, when it's like, okay, you guys got to stay home for three months. Well, where are those people going? Yeah. What, what, and, and, you know, what, what social, what, um, um, health related protection do they get? Cause they don't get to stay home. Yeah. Uh, they don't have anywhere to really wash their hands and, and stay clean on a regular basis. And, you know, it kind of, yeah, I, I, it was like the first time where I was, it kind of really made me think about them. Um, because where the, they kind of live in a certain part of the city and I just live on the other side. So unless like I'm going across the city, I, I don't, I don't see them regularly. Um, okay. and so, but during quarantine, it has forced me to like really reassess what, what can I do? What can we do to, to help them as a whole? Because like you said, like some of them don't want to be helped, but most people yeah. do want to be helped. Some, yeah. they just want that chance. They want that hand that someone sticks out and says, you know, I'm going to help you. Um, and so, and like you said, it's hard to be a functioning member of society when your basic needs aren't met. Like think about how out of whack you, you, at least me, I get when something isn't right. But meanwhile, I have a home, you know, I have basic needs. And so imagine having all of that completely stripped away. So I think that's great because um, they are they are a member of the community. You know, whether people want to acknowledge that or not, they are part of your community. And I think, like you said, it's just those small gestures, right? It could yeah. be just going to a store and popping in that you've never been to before and you're just supporting them. Or it could be volunteering your time. And I think, I think right now, being so fresh in kind of the protests and all of this, you know, we've seen a lot of social media movements, which I think expressing your voice is important, but there needs to be action done. Um, right. You know what I mean? Like posting a black box on social media is fine and dandy. Yeah. But if you're not volunteering, if you're not donating, if you're not contributing to your community, in my opinion, that black box was no good. Yeah, I agree. I didn't even post the black box. I didn't either. I got called out for it. Yeah. And and I, you know, it's, I I made a video too on my Instagram and I told people like, you know, there are some people like social media is, is used for multiple reasons. Some people use it as a a social platform to talk about issues. Um, Some people use it to laugh, you know, some people use it just to keep in contact with family. I'm a, I'm a black woman and I, and I didn't post the box because I didn't feel that I needed to prove my support for Black Lives Matter or prove my Blackness by putting a box on my Instagram. I think that I prove that every single day by my life. Um, yeah, yeah. Especially, yeah, yeah someone like you. And, and I kind of made the conscious decision to not post the box, but also not to post the entire day. I was like, look, I'm going to give the voices that want to be heard the platform. I'm not, I'm not going to clog it up by posting whatever I post. I kind of made the conscious decision of this is what I am going to do, but I did get called out for not posting a black box and I was called racist and I was told I was part of the problem. And, and to me, you know, that that, like as a white person that take, when, when you, when I get called racist, especially when I didn't do anything racist. I chose not to post a black box. Yeah. It, it digs deep because you're like, yeah. that's not me. You know what I mean? And, and 
I, I found myself kind of pissed because I was like, just cause I didn't post a black box. Now I am casted as racist when I think I'm, I think I'm a great ally. And, you know, I think, and I kind of, to your point, didn't think that it proved anything more or less about me. I know what I do on a regular basis in my community and to help people. And that's how I do it. Now, if you, if you want to use social media to do it and stuff like that, fine. Right. And as you mentioned, social media People use it different ways. Some people just want to post pictures of their dogs and look at other yeah. dogs. And some people, <laughs> some people want to educate people on different topics. And so yeah. I think also social media has, has, has the ability to really bring awareness, but yeah. I think it also has the ability to really tear us apart. Like in the example that I just told you, like what good did that do when that person attacked me for not posting something? Right. What, I think it was... Yeah. Show solidarity. They wanted, they wanted people that were not of color to show solidarity, and I understand that a hundred percent. But like you just said, everyone doesn't do that in their own way. Like I, I definitely have been creeping on you for like a couple of months now um, because someone had brought it to my attention that you were basically your family was funding a African American girl um, and like paying for her Ubers for her to be able to get back and forth to high school and stuff yeah. like that. And I was just like wow like I was totally I don't know I've, I've always like I've, I've never thought bad of you or anything like that um I know like the group of girls that you hung out like we had mutual friends and stuff yeah, in yeah. College. but I just I don't know I just never thought that oh text from Texas you know like I know you come from a pretty privileged family I never in a million years thought like your family would be involved in something like that and I was like you know what like I totally had the wrong view or perception of you and like the wrong perception of like your family. Like I know that Mary, you know, your family has a, a big mark in like, you know, the petroleum program and stuff at Marietta. And I was just like, wow, like that's, that's cool. Like, that's awesome. You know what I mean? And not to give you like the savior complex or anything like that, but I was just, I don't know. Like I, I think I cried a little bit. I hate really? to admit that, but I was just like, wow, like that is, that was just so awesome to me to see that someone that I had this skewed view of in college is doing something like that for this girl, you know? And I thought, I was like, you know, I need to reach out to her to see like whatever happened with this girl and did she graduate or like, you know, what's going on with her and something, maybe I can help her in the future or something yeah. like that. Stuff like that is, is why you don't have to post the black box. And this was an opportunity that someone presented to my parents. Yeah. A young girl needed a lot of help. And my parents helped her. It didn't matter that she was from somewhere else. It didn't matter that she was black. It didn't matter. She was a human being. She was a young girl that needed help. Yeah. And she got the help. And she's gotten the resources that she needs. She's now going into her senior year of high school. You know, awesome. and considering her circumstances, you know, it's kind of amazing that she's made it. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally resonated with her story. Like that was my story through Marietta. Like there were tons of people that helped me get to where I came from. I came from an inner city high school where like the odds were definitely stacked against me. You know what I mean? Um, and when I, when I saw that, I was just like, wow, like it's so good to see, not to see that my story has been repeated, but just to see that there are still good people in the world and it doesn't matter what your skin color is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a lot more people like that, but we get, 
you know, like you said, we hear so many negative things and it's kind of like this small minority of people get the most attention and they're not the good ones, right? They're, they're the people like you and me. They're the people that are trying to bridge the gap, help other people. So, all right. So a couple more questions. Um, You know, you've mentioned this a few times. You know, you graduated from Marietta. You're very involved with the college. You actually sit on uh, the MCAA. And what is that? The Marietta College Alumni Association. Alumni Association, yeah. Yep. And so one thing, um, let me ask you this, just straight up. Are you the only uh, Black person on the board? I was until recently. We actually just got another member. Um, I don't know if you remember Taisha Anderson. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. She, she just got on. Um, awesome. She joined our first board meeting. I want to say it was last month was her first meeting. Okay. Um, so hopefully we didn't scare her, <laughs> scare her yeah. away. But yeah. So she'll so she'll be the second. Um, so it, it feels good to have another another person because I've definitely since I've gotten on and I want to say this is going on year three for me. It's crazy how yeah this, these years have just flown by. But um, yeah, definitely been pushing for you know to find another voice another voice of color to yeah. you know on the board and give some different perspectives um because I, I know that they they want they want that um and it, but it's just very uncomfortable for them to find people because they're like you know we don't want them to think that they're just going to be the token or we're just trying to feel like you're yeah. talking black or whatever and yeah, yeah that was very uncomfortable for me because that's kind of how I almost felt I almost allowed myself to feel in the beginning but then I realized like you know, in order to get some change, in order to get things done around here, I'm going to have to be uncomfortable. I'll, I'll sacrifice my, you know, my comfort for the greater yeah. good. And, you know, why did you want to join uh, the board in general? Actually, I'm not going to lie. I did not want to join. Um, I actually, I feel like I was swindled into it a little bit. So <laughs> this lady named Brandy, who used to work for the college, um, one day yep. she called me up and she said, hey, I'm from Marietta College. I want to take you to breakfast. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marietta College asked me for money or something. And I'm like, dude, I still have student loans. Like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to give you guys any more money. And um, she told me, she goes, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't about that. And I was like, okay. So she was like, just hear me out. So she took me to Bob Evans and my heart is in Bob Evans. Like, I was like, <laughs> restaurant. So she had me sold from, uh, you know, the, the sausage links and the uh, well, turkey sausage links and the French toast. But she told me, she goes, um, over, over the, over the past year, we, you have been nominated multiple times. And I was like, me, little old me, what did I do? She goes, <laughs> she goes, and even people that came before you have, have said that you would be a great addition to our board. And I was like, what do you guys even do? And so she <laughs> explained it, and I was like, Oh, Okay. And um, I was definitely still very uncomfortable, but something just kind of told me to do it, like yeah. go for it. And I remember attending the first meeting. Um, we usually meet during homecoming and graduation uh, weekends. And um, I went to a meeting and I was like, okay, but I think, I think I can do this, you know, and it's, it's not a paid position. I don't get paid for it. Right, um, right. A volunteer. Um, and we, we basically, we meet and we, we try to, we're trying to establish a a more solid foundation and more solid relationship with our alumni. I think that, you know, when you go through Marietta, like it's, it's a family, you know, but then when you graduate, everyone's still spread out uh, across the globe, you know, we want to be able to still be that glue that brings everybody like back back together. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I kind of got volunteered to kind of lead some of those efforts out here in Denver, like connecting the alumni. Cause there's like, 
almost 200 Denver alumni. And if you, and for those, yeah, like for those who don't know, Marietta's tiny, we graduate like 300 ish, 350 ish. So, you know, that's a pretty big population actually, uh, considering, you know, obviously there's a lot in Ohio, there's a humongous presence in Houston, but then kind of outside of that, it's kind of just sporadic and you have to kind of find it. Mm-hmm. but we had we had a lot of great plans for like this year obviously they've kind of been stunted based on COVID-19 okay. but we yeah. did get uh, a happy hour together and it, it was fun like it was uh all different people all different age ranges some people knew my parents uh some people were just like a little bit older than me or a little bit younger so I didn't know them but they might have known mm-hmm. my brother like it was it was cool and so I I hope we can kind of continue that effort, because when you go to Marietta, like you kind of know everyone throughout all the different years for the most part, you at least like know who they are. And, um, and so, yeah, so I think that's kind of a unique experience you get with a small school is, you know, you know, people like you and I, like, I don't think we had a single class together. Probably. (laughs) Um, I don't think so, but, but I knew who you were, right. You knew who I was and we would, I'm sure we said hi and stuff like that. And, um, (laughs) So I, I think that's really cool. And I know you have a pretty big initiative right now that you were working yeah. with the college around the mascot. And so currently, uh, Marietta College, our mascot, we are the pioneers. Um, and then we have, what is it? Rufus Putnam is like actually the pioneer that we... Yeah, Pio Putnam is themed after Rufus Putnam. Okay. Yeah, so Pio is his name, but he is basically Rufus Putnam in like cartoon form. So what are you trying to change? Are you trying to change like pioneers as the name or the fact that Rufus Putnam is our pioneer? Yeah. So I'm, I am okay with, and the student, majority of the student body is okay with keeping pioneer in the branding. We're okay with that hundred percent, but we do not want Rufus Putnam to be the face of the pioneer. Like yeah. I said before, I think that pioneers can be of any race, any ethnicity, any background. Yeah. Um, and I think that Rufus Putnam just um, his his relationship with West, Western expansion and um, being in the military, his relationship with George Washington and how they, you know, pretty much like slaughtered like a lot of Native Americans. Um, there were two specific uh, tribes that lived in that area in Ohio. We all know Marietta is the first settlement of Ohio. Um, and just like a brief history lesson, um, Rufus Putnam was directed, um, he was in the military to basically settle that land. Um, yeah. But it pretty much infringe on the Native Americans' way of life. Um, and pretty much like his group of settlers said, well, we don't care. Like, we're going to take this land, you know? Um, and so I, I just thought that even though he was in favor of like the Federalist Party and the Federalist Party Party was not in favor of having slavery in Ohio, I still don't think that that negates what happened to our Native American sisters and brothers, you know? So um, I think that it's definitely time to retire uh, Putnam Pio, aside from the fact that he's extra creepy, I don't know if you've ever been around the big, him. The big wooden one. Yeah, the one that comes to the basketball games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, super creepy. Um, and not just the black kids think it, but a lot of like my white friends have said the same thing. They're like, I do not want that thing anywhere near me. Um, no. <laughs> but I, I think that the college, especially what's going on right now, this is the perfect time to disassociate ourselves with that particular picture. I mean, it's a white man holding a freaking what musket or bayonet or you know like musket, some yeah. of God, like that's probably not the image we want to display and and maybe at the time when whoever whoever thought that that was a good idea maybe you know I'm, I'm sure it didn't come from a place of malice I think it just probably yeah. came from a place of not knowing you know 
So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and and I think I, I um at first like when I heard you were doing this because you, you had posted it on, on Instagram um yeah. I didn't vote and the only reason why I didn't vote was because I wasn't clear on what you was it the pioneer that you wanted like the name <laughs> pioneer or if it was like the actual Rufus Putnam oh, yeah. Just um, the yeah. yeah yeah and so I think that's fair because I like like I was thinking to myself I was like wow like pioneer though just the term can yeah. mean literally anyone anything you know and you and we use the word pioneer in so many different contexts like the yeah. reason that we are the Marietta College pioneers yeah. is because mm-hmm. right they pioneered the west and Marietta was the first settlement and all of this stuff and so but pioneer can mean so many things and so I think as an institution I think pioneer is a great brand yeah. And then, but now who's the face of it? Mm-hmm. We could possibly make some changes. And, and I've seen you share some positive interactions with the college. And so they seem <clears throat> rather receptive from what I gather. Yeah. 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 President Rude, we actually, we have a meeting tomorrow in the morning. Nice. Um, and we are, uh, and I, this is funny because I, I don't like to lose sleep. I work night shifts, so I love to sleep during the day. Um, <laughs> but I was, you know, I will totally lose sleep for this. And, you know, I appreciate your transparency too about, you know, letting me know about not voting. I've tried to remain unbiased in this. Um, I just, I really just want to be the vessel, just be the vehicle that gets the voices out there. You know, I don't want to skew anybody's view or try to change their vote or anything like that. But yeah, no, definitely. Um, I don't know if you remember our commencement speaker, but he talked about pioneers and that, that kind of has always stuck with me since graduation that, you know, pioneer being a pioneer is about persevering and being persistent and, Mm -hmm. you know, all these great, uh, positive like word associations go with pioneer. And I think that if we took that away from Marietta, like who would we be, you know what I mean? There's so many of us, like you, even your name, trailblazing text, like, when I saw that, I was like, I wonder if this is because of Marietta College. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I thought that that was awesome. Like, you're you're making waves in your own little, like, niche, you know? Like, you're you're doing what you can in your, in, in your world, and it's affecting change in others, you know? So. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that. And that was, and so actually going back to your post about the vote, I think mm-hmm. it's also important to remember, again, people use social media differently. Like some people are like, oh, no. like some people like literally are like, I'm not going to rock any boat. I'm not going <laughs> to post any opinions, you know, Ari, do your thing. And yeah. so I think that's another thing is, if, is I think if you, as you continue to have these conversations, people might come out of the woodwork that you literally are like, oh, we have not spoken. Oh, there have been a couple, like someone that I totally disagreed with on everything in college yeah messaged me um I was like a really strong like democratic voice I think in college and she was like a super strong like republican voice and we clashed on every single thing she even reached out to me and she was like hey I think what you're doing is is great like keep it up and that that yeah it made me so happy because I I even mentioned to her like I know that we probably hated each other in college like you know and it's great to see that even even if we all don't agree on everything, that because we share Marietta, that we can come together as a family and like look out for one another. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's pretty sweet. I love it. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that's great. And I think that's actually a great example is, you know, people can have different stances on different things, but there's certainly things that we can all agree on. You know, it's <laughs> not so much left and right or Democrat and Republican or us versus them. Like, yeah. you know there's, there's things for the most part we can all, all kind of get behind. And, right. um, so I'm, I'm happy to see that. I'm happy to see that, you know, someone that you guys butted heads came to an agreement on something. Um, yes. 
And, and so, yeah, so I, I really appreciate everything that you are doing. I know you are probably in a pretty tough position, just, you know, being a black woman, you are a police officer during such high tension times, but at the same time, when you're not police officer, Ari, you know, you're Columbus Ari or wherever yeah. you live. And, <laughs> and, um, and, and you're, and you're fighting your fight. And so, yeah. You know, I think I think people really respect your voice too because you you wear both hats. Like you you see both yeah. sides and you know what's going on. And that's another reason why I wanted to to have you on. And it and it's not me sitting here like, you know, blue lives matter. That's not the point that I'm trying to make. It's that yeah. you are someone who who sees it from both sides. Mm-hmm. And and you can have a great conversation. You can have an intelligent conversation. Um and I don't think we disagreed on anything here, but if we did disagree, I feel like you and I could have that conversation, hash yeah. out civilly. And we might not totally agree at the end of the day, but we at least had the conversation and you could be like, ah, I understand why Brittany under- thinks that way. And I could be like, ah, I understand why Ari thinks that way. And that's right. kind of what, you know, the initial point of my, my podcast was just like people's stories. And then yeah. once all of this happened, I was like, I can't not address it, I feel. And so- yeah. So I wanted to to have some different voices and different perspectives on to just have honest conversations. And, you know, the cop I talked to yesterday and you, no one said anything like outlandish, you know, like mm-hmm. we're all on the same page. We, yeah. we, we all want human beings to be treated equally. We want, we just want equality. We want everyone's life to be, you know, how it should be. It shouldn't be more difficult just because you are black or or brown or or whatever it is, right? We, I would say yeah. most of us are on the same page that we want the same thing and how we go about it is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and so, but I think everyone collectively doing things is how you make the progress. Some people are protesting, some people are donating, some people are getting involved. Some people are having really tough discussions and all of that collectively moves the needle. Yes. And so I think that's one thing that's important is just because your friend isn't protesting or just because your friend isn't posting or doing this doesn't mean that they don't care. And so I think it goes back to like checking in on people, having conversations mm-hmm. with people because yeah, yeah. just cause again, just cause they're not posting it doesn't mean they just don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think it's really hard for someone right now to just sit back and be like, don't care. Like I, I have yet to find someone that doesn't care. They just might show it the, the way yeah. they care differently. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of this quote. I can't remember. I know it's Mary, Marianne something. I can't remember her last name, but basically in the quote, she's saying that when you, when you are who you truly are and being authentic to who you are, yeah. your light and, and letting your light shine, you empower others to do the same. And I think that that's really what this movement is about. You know, that we are, we are finally hearing other people's voices and it's empowering us to be able to, to do the same and to make that change. Like you said, there are people who are having to have uncomfortable conversations. I think of them in the same light as the people that are protesting. I, I have a friend who recently reached out to me and um, he, uh, he, they both were saying that, you know, I have to talk to my family about some stuff that they said when I was a kid and I, and I, and then I met you and I was like, all black people are not like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of, yeah. You know, like you said, we all have these biases and our vice and, um, we don't want you, you don't want to take that into the next generation. We don't right. want to teach that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it has to start somewhere. So I think they're 
just as much as a hero as the people that are out getting tear gassed and, you know, getting, yeah. you know, front lines of, of the protests and stuff. So I definitely, I definitely think that everyone in this, in this fight has their part. And, you know, if you do your part well, like yeah. everything's going to be okay. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think everyone has their, their own unique part. And um, anyways, you know, I really appreciate you coming on. I know we kind of did this short notice. And so yeah. uh, I appreciate you coming on. I know you just got off night shift, so you're probably tired and <laughs> all of that. Um, but I, I appreciate it. And, um, you know, it was great. It was great catching up. I know it'd been a while, but again, you know, I think that's something special about where we go to, where we went to college is you can simply reach out and, you know, people yes. will help you or participate or, or whatever it is that you're looking for. And so, yep. um, I hope you stay safe out there. Um, you. you know, keep yeah. doing what you're doing, I, I think you're doing great stuff and, uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on. No problem. You're welcome. Anytime. All right. We'll talk soon. All right. See ya.